Hello, I'm Tristan Abbey, editor-at-large of the ALEA Review of Books. This is episode 16 of the ALEA Review podcast. Last episode, we were joined by Canadian philosopher John Leslie to discuss his work on the multiverse and related questions. Today, we are joined by Richard Swinburne, Emeritus Professor of Philosophy at the University of Oxford, where he studied philosophy and theology at the beginning of his academic career. He has written over a dozen books about the existence of God, the soul, the mind-body problem, and related topics. Dr. Swinburne, welcome to the show. Question. How has the field of origins, cosmology, philosophy, theology, that bread and butter of your work, how has that changed over the course of your career? Well, just on the scientific front, when I started thinking about these matters, which was back in the 60s, if not before, the current scientific theory of the origins of our universe was the steady state theory. On that theory, championed by Fred Hoyle, The universe was gradually expanding, but as it expanded, new galaxies appeared between the old galaxies, which were getting further apart. And so, by and large, the universe looked always the same as it has done in the past, and that has been the same forever. Now, that theory was disproved when the Big Bang theory assembled a lot of evidence in its favor. As you I'm sure know, the Big Bang Theory thought everything started with a Big Bang 13.5 billion years ago, and it's been expanding ever since. Then uh, that theory ran into one or two problems, scientific problems, as a result of which it tended to get sort of amended. The Big Bang was enormous for the first few seconds, There was a big period of inflation, and then it settled down to its present uh, uh, rate of expansion. That started started complicating it, and it tended to get more and more complicated. But still, uh, it's, it's still in play, very much so. I should also say that, in my view, it doesn't make the slightest difference to arguments for the existence of God whether the universe had a beginning or whether it didn't. Because if it didn't, then the question arises as to whether some earlier state of the universe is the cause of some later state. And the issue is whether it's the sole cause or whether it requires God to make it be the cause of the later state. And so if the universe is backwardly everlasting, It may be because God, throughout everlasting time, has kept it producing its later states. Aquinas thought that. He didn't think it was everlasting, but he thought it didn't make any difference to the cogency of an argument if it was, and I endorse that. However, why uh, a universe theory looks important is not whether it has an initial beginning, but also for the fact, or solely for the fact, that the universe seems to be fine-tuned. That is to say, the constants which appear in the laws of gravity and the other three forces have to have values which could only be different by one part in a a thousand or one part in a hundred thousand, 
because if they were different by more than that, there wouldn't be any planets and there wouldn't be any, any place for human beings. And it rather looks as if they've been chosen. So there is a place for human beings. So there came into vogue a different variant theory known as the multiverse theory, or rather 101 different multiverse theories, saying that, well, <laughs> there is a big, big energy space which keeps throwing up universes at different points. And these universes vary from each other. In particular, they vary in respect of the constants of laws of nature. So it's not very surprising that somewhere, sometime, they might throw up one fine tune because there are millions of others which are not fine-tuned. So fine-tuning is not, on that view, an argument. Well, there have been variants of that. Now, that requires a little more philosophical attention. Um, the trouble is, with that theory, you need evidence in its favour. And the evidence in its favour can only come from this universe, because we have no access to the other universes. So it has to be that the simplest theory of goings on in our universe has this consequence. Now, if that is to be the case, there must be some very general laws of the multiverse, which say that <laughs> whenever the multiverse in all its universes is at a certain state, it will then throw up other universes at a different state. And innumerable multiverses would not have this consequence. The multiverse itself has to be fine-tuned so as to produce somewhere or other a fine-tuned universe. So the question then arises as to why the universe is multiverse is fine-tuned to produce somewhere or other a fine-tuned universe. So the same question arising. And in a sense, it might be the case, as it were, that as regards the constants of the laws of the multiverse, they are, would be allowed to vary a bit more in order to throw up a fine-tuned multiverse, a fine-tuned universe. But if the laws themselves, the shape of the laws, not just the constants, but the shape of the laws was different, then there's no reason to suppose that any multiverse would throw up a fine-tuned universe. By what the shape of the laws has been different. I mean, if you just take the law of gravity, the law of gravity says that any two particles in the universe attract each other with a force proportional to the product of their masses and inversely proportional to the square of their distance apart. And by the constants varying, I mean the, the gravitational constant explains what the proportion is that the force between them is mass of one times the mass of the other over r squared multiplied by the constant g. And that is the normal sort of fine-tuning. But if the law of gravity was not an inverse square law, but an inverse cube law, then uh, we wouldn't have any planets anywhere, whatever the constant was. So again, the universe does look <laughs> rather special 
in throwing up anything on which there can be solid bodies of the kind that human bodies are. So I don't think any of that has, has changed the apparent orderliness of the universe. So that is my assessment of the science and my assessment of why the science doesn't show anything uh, to disturb a very normal inference. You've written over a dozen books on this subject and related matters, but who do you read? Who are your academic influences? Yes, well, when I started doing philosophy, I was, as I am now, a religious person, and it seemed to me that the then paradigm of knowledge was science. And if we could show what is good evidence in science, then that could be applied to considering what is good evidence in religion. So I read then, and to some extent have kept up with, the literature about what is evidence for what, generally, in scientific theories, historical theories, and so on. And it came to my knowledge that this is put into a formal shape by the theory of probability. So I read Carnap's Logical Theory of Probability when I was young, and I read a lot of literature about on a non-quantitative kind about what's the evidence for what. Popper's theory about scientific theories had to be falsifiable, which I don't believe to be true, and most people don't believe to be true these days. Rather better theories produced by Hempel and others. So I read quite a lot of that literature. And I also read what stimulated me very much. I first heard his lectures, Felix Weissman's lectures on the philosophy of space and time. This was at a, in the late 50s when philosophy of science wasn't, was hardly in evidence in Oxford, but his lectures on space and time got me very interested in that topic, and my first book was on space and time. But, of course, the religious influence importance has dominated my writing, and I came to realize soon that the current theolo- then current theology view that religion was a matter of faith and you didn't have arguments was not a, a traditional theological view, and in particular, the great medieval thinkers, and above all Aquinas, thought that arguments could be given for the existence of God. And I don't think Aquinas' own arguments were particularly good, but they, they were along the right lines, I thought. They argued from the nature of the world to um, particular features of it, particular his fifth way, argued from the orderliness of nature to nature having an orderer. So he was, I won't say exactly a major influence, because I think I'd got there independently, but he was certainly, subsequently, I've read a lot of Aquinas and absorbed his views on other matters and disagreed with them too, but uh, sympathetic to them. And among later religious thinkers, Joseph Butler and John Henry Newman, both of whom were members of the Oxford College, to which I belong, Oriel College. Butler's analogy of religion is a very careful, balanced account of 
why it was as rational to believe a revealed religion as to believe in the existence of God. And Newman stressed that you, it was very difficult to put these things in, in uh, precise formal shape, but one could nevertheless get a reasonable sense of what was a good argument without doing that. So those were, were some of the influences, and but I picked up all sorts of good ideas from all sorts of different people. Well, thanks very much for that. One final question. I know that we are rapidly running out of time. From our previous discussion over email, I know that you are not one for fiction too much, but I must ask, a favorite novel, a favorite play, a favorite ballad or epic poem or movie or anything fictional other than, I guess, the multiverse, which you probably... Well, insofar as I read fiction these days, I just read it in order to switch off serious thought. So I read uh, the old thriller or the old piece of historical fiction. I've recently read Hilary Mantel's trilogy on on Thomas Cromwell, which is a very good trial of... uh, the situation of uh, government leaders in Tudor times. As for films, I don't think I've been to the cinema for years, but I I have watched occasionally on telly, but I'm afraid I haven't haven't been gripped by anything of that sort. So I'm not much used to you in that respect. No, that is illuminating in its own way. Dr. Swinburne. (laughs) Thank you very much for joining us and for your time, and may God bless your teaching career. Thank you very much. It's not ended yet. (laughs) This interview was conducted on September 13th, 2021. I'm Tristan Abbey with the Aaliyah Review of Books. Join us online at www.aaleoreview.com. That's www.aleoreview.com. 